Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 4. So we begin a new series today in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as I mentioned, we're, we're doing a weekly reading, a chapter a day, Monday through Saturday. So this past week, you started in Matthew 1 on Monday and you finished with Matthew chapter 6 on Saturday. And uh, I'm going to be pulling a message out from one of those chapters each week. And so this week, it's from Matthew chapter 4. I'll incorporate that memory verse. Of course, we have the Sunday school class. We broke down those six chapters today, went a little bit further with that in the Gospels class this morning. And um, just to note, too, with Sunday school, we've also got the, uh, the parenting ministry, home builders, and then also financial peace. Those just started today. So if you're interested in any of that stuff, that's at 845 on Sundays. But as we walk through this, we're going to be looking at Matthew, then we're going to move on to the book of Mark, and then Luke, and then our Christmas series will actually be in the book of John. And so we're going to be in the Gospels here for the semester. And so I'm looking forward to this as we get into God's Word together. And I believe God's Word speaks to us. And so before we get into God's Word here together, I'm going to just pray and ask that our hearts would be ready to receive what it is that he wants to speak into our life. So would you pray with me here before we begin this message? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to gather around your word. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be in tune to what it is that you want to say here today. And Father, I ask that you would silence things in the spiritual realm that, that could be distractions and things that would keep us from truly hearing from you. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would just bring a freedom right now in receiving from you. So we just ask for you to bless this time. Bless all the children as they get into God's word together, nursery through sixth grade. Bless their time, Lord. Bless the teachers and all that's happening in our kids' area. We thank you for that. And Lord, we lift this all to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 1, this is a passage about the temptation of Jesus. Not the temptation that comes from Jesus, but it's that Jesus himself is being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And we're going to unpack that here this morning. But would you join me here as we walk through this, starting in verse 1. The Bible says that then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. And for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. Now, let's just stop here so you can kind of get an idea of how high up they would be. Now, a lot of people think the highest point in the temple would be about 450 feet. And so for context for us, in, in rural Iowa, all these skyscrapers you see around, right? The, the one I thought of was the principal building down in Des Moines, which is like 600 and some feet high. So imagine going up two-thirds of that, this is where Satan has brought him, 
and he's going to speak to them. So imagine how high up they are. And this is what Satan says in verse 6. He says, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say that God will command his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Well, Jesus responded, the Scriptures also say that you must not test the Lord your God. Well, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, I will give it all to you if you kneel down and you worship me. Jesus' response, get out of here, Satan. For the Scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Well, then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. There's a variety of things happening here in this passage. And we're going to break down looking at some of the tactics of Satan, as well as Jesus' response and how we can apply some of these very things into our own lives. There's things that are happening here that we can, we can take. Look at how Jesus responded, and that's how I want to respond when I'm faced with temptation. I think we need to lay a little groundwork, though. There's a lot of people think, that think Satan is just a figure of evil and that he's not real. But I'm telling you right now, he is 100% real. And he has a mission statement over your life, and that is to seek, kill, and destroy. He's going to rob things from you. That is what he does. That is what the Scriptures say about Satan. He's not just a figure of evil. He is real, and he is very much evil, and he has a demonic army that desires to take you out, to pick you off, to ruin your life, to destroy your marriage, to cause tension within your family, to cause you to trip up and to sin. And, and to be deceived. And all of these things Satan comes to do. He wants to harm you. And so with that understanding, I think we all want to lean in here. Okay, I, I want to know how Jesus responded to all this so I can respond in a like manner. How can I do the same thing that Jesus was doing? I want to just start out by noting that he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was fasting. And he became hungry. Okay, how many of you have ever acted out of your flesh because you were hungry? Hey, okay, there's that word that I know sometimes gets thrown around. I was hangry, right? Or you know, if if tension starts to rise within a a couple or within the family, maybe we should just stop and eat, right? <laughs> I think you need some nutrition in your body. You've seen these Snickers commercials where the, they turn into these people that they're not really, and then they have a Snickers bar and they come back to themselves. Okay, imagine he's in the wilderness. He has not eaten. He is fasting. And one of the very first things Satan does is tempt him with food. Well, let's start to break down here, guys, just the importance of the wilderness the 40 days, and a little bit later in Matthew, he's actually going to be teaching on the mount. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. And we walked through this in Sunday school, but there's a ministry called the Bible Project, and they illustrate a lot of things while they're telling 
uh, the story and what the book is about. And you'll notice here on the screen that Jesus, as Matthew is trying to emphasize, he is the new Moses and he's greater than Moses. Okay? You think about what Moses did. He, he led people out of Egypt. Well, in Jesus' birth story, they go to Egypt to escape Herod, but then they, they come out of Egypt. And so there's similarities there. You know, Moses and the Israelites came through the Red Sea. Jesus baptized in the Jordan. Moses and the Israelites, 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Moses goes up Mount Sinai and receives the law and gives that to Israel. Jesus goes up on this mount and gives a sermon. We get Matthew 5 through 7, the sermon on the mount. But Jesus is greater than Moses. Because while Moses helped Israel or get out of Egypt and, and be set free from the earthly slavery that they were a part of, Jesus comes and he sets us free from the spiritual slavery that we are all in. And Jesus Christ breaks the chains of our slavery unto sin and he sets us free. Jesus is greater than Moses and Matthew emphasizes those things. Let's look at some of the things that Satan's trying to do here to trip Jesus up. Okay, we know that Jesus came to this earth to die on a cross to pay the penalty and the price for our sin. And that sacrifice had to be perfect. And so I want you to think about this. If Jesus is tempted and then he sins, he's no longer perfect. Right? So this is a pretty big moment here. And Jesus, in his perfection, stands firm and he gives us ways to live. And, and you look at the tactics of Satan. One of the first things I want to highlight here is that he sows doubt. Specifically, sowing doubt on God's Word. Okay, this is something he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. Okay, one of the first things he says to Eve when Satan shows up, he goes, did God really say, do not eat? Did he really say that? And he's trying to create doubt or, or questions. And you think about this. Jesus knows he's the Son of God. And look at how he begins to tempt him a little bit. If you're the son of God, I want you to, to, to turn those stones to bread. That way you can eat. I mean, aren't you the son of God? Almost questioning that. Just as he was questioning God's word with Eve back in Genesis chapter 3. And another thing that Satan does is he twists Scripture. He twists it. Satan says, for the Scriptures say. Look at him quote the Scriptures. And I, I think it's important here to just tell you guys, Satan knows Scripture. And he will try to use it, taking it out of its context, and, and, and then give that to you. And I want you to understand this. If it glorifies you or anybody else but God, I think we're twisting the Scripture. If it glorifies you or anyone else, when you take that Scripture out of its context, that's Satan twisting it. And you'll notice how, when, a little bit later, when I break down Jesus' response, Satan takes things out of context, but then Jesus puts things back in their proper context. Okay, Satan's taking this out of context. He, he misquotes 
Psalm 91. And how do we know he misquotes it? Because when you take Scripture, you have to weigh it out with the other Scriptures that we have. You can't just pull out a section and make it do whatever you want it to do. It needs to work with the rest of the Scriptures. And so as you're navigating that, we have to have a good idea of what it is that God's trying to say from Genesis to Revelation. That means that you and I, we really need to know what the Word says. That's important. Because Satan will twist that. He, again, in the garden, when he asks that question of Eve, one of the things he says is, you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. Now, is that what God told them? No, he told them it was one. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan comes and he goes, didn't God say that you can't eat of any? He's, he's twisting this, trying to, to get her to feel like she's missing out. Well, the Bible says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so what might seem good, I mean, when he quotes this scripture, you think, well, yeah, God does protect me. So I'm just going to jump off this building and see if he protects me. And clearly, I mean, all of us sitting here would be like, that'd be the wrong thing to do. But I think we can try to test God at times. Lord, if this is really what you're wanting to do, um, then when I get up to this stoplight, make it, make it stay green. Oh, must be the case. It stayed green. I mean, we can do some of the same stuff. It's not 450 feet in the air, but we can begin to twist things for our own benefit, taking things out of context, testing God. What's interesting here, this very question, if you are the Son of God, I mean, you can save yourself from 450 feet in the air, but this is used later in Jesus' ministry, and you think how tempting this would be to use his power to get out of a situation. When he's on the cross, and in Matthew 27, verse 40, the crowd is mocking him, and they say, if you are the Son of God, then save yourself and come down from the cross. Imagine the agony. I mean, you die from suffocation on a cross. You can't hardly breathe. And when people are saying that, I don't know about you, but that'd be a moment where I'd say, yeah, I think we're going to use my power here and get out of this difficult circumstance. But Jesus remains the course. Another thing that Satan tries to do, another tactic here, is he tries to appeal to our flesh. Now, in these three things that, that Satan's trying to do with Jesus, you know, hey, cause these stones to become bread because I know you're hungry. I know you haven't eaten. And I think bread would taste really good right now. How many of you just like bread? Anybody? Okay. And imagine not eating for an extended period of time, and that's what's being offered. You know? And then the other thing he appeals to is take, take him way up. He says, if you are really the Son of God questioning him, then prove it. Jump off this building, and God will save you. He kind of plays with his pride there a little bit. I mean, Jesus knows he's the Son of God. And yet he just remains faithful. He just says, don't, don't test God. But then the other thing, he takes him to this 
high, high mountain and he looks over all the kingdom and, and he says, look at all of this. This could be yours. Bow down and worship me. And he tries to get him lured in by his eyes. Satan did the same thing in the garden with Eve. In, in verse 6 of Genesis 3, the Bible says that the woman was convinced because she saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious. So Satan, he tries to appeal to our flesh. He wants to draw us in through our eyes or, or, or through the things that you and I, we sense. You know, we, we get lured in. And I want to just kind of have a little fun moment with you here, but um, I brought my tackle box with me this morning. And um, how many of you are fishermen or women? How many of you like to fish? Okay, so five of you right now, this is going to be a good moment. The rest of you, this halftime, try to memorize the verse that was given to you today, okay? But I like to fish for something called musky. How many of you have ever heard of what musky is? Okay, it's going to be on the screen here because my mother caught a 42-incher. That's three and a half foot long, about 25 to 30 pounds. And I get the text message on this, and I thought, what a thrill. Like, it took both my parents to net that thing and get it into the boat. And these things are huge. And you can imagine the lures that are used for fish like that. And they're so colorful. And like, here's a massive one. And it goes through the water, and this thing you know, flips water up in the air, and the muskie like that. They, they get all excited about that. They want to eat that. And I remember casting this one out uh, over the summer family thing that we had together. And my brother's making fun of me because he's like, you're going to catch that with, you know, a bath toy? I mean, seriously, that's what that looks like. And they got some here. They go down in the water and they, they rattle. They like that. We try to lure them in. Uh, there's all kinds of different things here. Um, oh, here's another one. It's all tangled. Now, you guys know I'm a real fisherman because my stuff's tangled. Right? That's sort of a qualification. But this one's just a snake, and it comes up on the top of the water, and it moves just like live-action snake. I've had a, uh, something hit that before. But here's the thing. You can kind of see the lure on that fish's mouth in one of those pictures. It's not very big at all. And this lure in particular has been very successful for me with northern. And it's like my old reliable. Okay? And here's the thing. Satan's got all kinds of ways to draw us in. But he knows. He's got an old reliable with each and every single one of us. He knows exactly where your weakness is. And he can draw you in like that. And oftentimes, that moment of weakness can be right after we've had a successful moment in our spiritual journey. We're like on a spiritual high God's doing things, and, and, and we're just so excited about that, and Satan just brings old reliable right through. Oh, man. And he gets our eyes off of Christ, and we go after the bait. Okay? I want us to understand something. It's not a sin to be tempted. Okay? He's the one bringing the lure by. The sin is when you go after it, when you pursue what he's tempting you with. Okay? Satan also gets us when we're down. Right? When we're going through something very difficult, high stress, we're walking through very difficult things. And, and he knows that sometimes when people walk through that stuff, they get frustrated at God. And they're kinda, they kind of got an attitude. And these kinds of fish get attitude. 
Okay, and when they see something come along in their space, they just eat just because they're mad, not just because they're hungry. And so Satan just knows how to bring things in right at the right moment and hook us. And we know that those things can be very detrimental to us because he wants to destroy your life. I, I started with that at the beginning of this message. You know, one of the lures I have um, is this mud duck. Just about this big, okay? And it just goes on the surface of the water. The feet flip the water up and stuff like that. And there's actually a duck that will frequent my folks' cabin that's missing a leg. And the point I make with that is Satan is trying to devour you. I don't know if you realize that or not, but part of the reason why he lures you in is because he wants to completely devour your life. He's ruthless, exactly. This is another lure I got for officiating a wedding. Uh, this is my kind of humor. This is from my cousin a few weeks ago. It's a lure that simply says, Oh, fish, eent. I was the officiant of their wedding. Yes, I was my kind of lure right there. Good dad joke for you. But Satan lures us in, and I want us to look at this verse in 1 John 2, 16. The world only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see and the pride in our achievements and our possessions. Guess what? These aren't from God. They're not from God. They're from the world. And Satan tries to lure us in. And you think about what Matthew was doing when Jesus called him to be his follower. He became a tax collector. And the reason why you become a tax collector, most likely it's because you love money. And you want more money. And this is what Matthew is doing. And look how God redeems his life. And then later, he's penning down the temptation of Jesus and talking about how Satan appeals to our flesh. Matthew lived these very things. But he was redeemed from those very things. So let's look at Jesus' response. All three times, Jesus replies with, the scriptures say. Okay, other translations, it is written. Which means it was written and it still stands today, Satan. He fights with the word of God. Ephesians 6, verse 17 says that the Bible, the scriptures, is the sword of the spirit. And when Ephesians 6 breaks down the armor of God, that is the one weapon that's offensive is God's word. So you see him declaring the word of God over this situation and, and combating Satan with it. And he uses it in proper context. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and one that's rightly dividing the word of truth. When Jesus responds to Satan, all three times that he responds with the scripture, he quotes Deuteronomy when the Israelites are in their wilderness experience. You talk about using God's word in the proper context. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan. And so he fights Satan with God's word in proper context. 
He's rightly dividing it. And there's an importance, too, for all of us to understand that Psalm 119.11 talks about hiding God's Word in our heart, memorizing Scripture. I've hidden your Word in my heart, God, that I might not sin against you. So that's why the memory verse thing's important. We hide God's Word in our heart. And so this will be on the screen here. This was our memory verse for this week. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. How many of you plan to have lunch after service today? Okay, that's an important part. And maybe even supper, maybe even a little dessert in there, if you're lucky, right? But then tomorrow morning, you'll probably eat again, right? And Jesus says, man can't live on bread alone, so what are you doing with God's word in your life? When's your next meal? Next Sunday? That's a long time to go without food. Jesus says man cannot live on bread alone. You must live off of every word that comes from the mouth of God. So another thing that Jesus does is he dismisses Satan. I love this. He just flat out tells him, get out of here. Get out of here, Satan. He even said the same thing later on in his ministry to Peter. But Satan was using Peter at that time. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. He's rebuking him. And you might think I'm crazy, but I've done that before. You just think, if my neighbors are watching, they're thinking I'm nuts. But I think if Jesus did it, do I think he's crazy? No. There is power in rebuking Satan in the name of Jesus. Get out of my house, Satan, in Jesus' name. You think through the power of rebuking him, dismissing him. And then another thing, you guys, look, divine protection. Jesus has responded. The Bible says that the devil went away. Verse 11. James 4, verse 7. The Bible says, resist the devil and what? He will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. The next part of verse 11, it says that angels came and they took care of Jesus. So the scripture that Satan tried to twist, Psalm 91, you see that actually happening here at the end of this passage. Psalm 91.11, that God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. Satan flees, the angels come in, they take care of Jesus. So there's one verse I want to feature here just for this last portion of the message. And it's verse 1. Boy, we kind of glossed over this at the beginning, but I, I don't know if you caught this. kind of makes me go, this is kind of interesting. But you read a, a verse like, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. How many of you caught that? And I just think this is interesting. It's like the Spirit of God is leading Jesus into this environment where there's going to be some testing. And I want you to understand this. 
God will allow testing in your life. He'll allow it. But we need to understand, here's a good verse with context. If you've ever heard people say, God will not give you more than you can handle, and I know I've said this before, that verse used in context is in regarding temptation. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says the temptations in your life are no different from what other people experience. Hey, we're all in the same boat. Satan is, is using old reliable on all of us. Okay? And listen, God is faithful. And He will not allow... That tells me He does allow it, though. It says He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And that when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. That verse tells me that God allows it, but He gives you a way out. So you and I, we're given choices. We're not robots. And we walk this earth and Satan is trying to cause us to get distracted from worshiping God and, and walking in disobedience and sin and things that are destructive. And there's a couple of uh, examples here I want to just highlight that, that God does allow testing. The first one is in the Old Testament with a man named Job. Perhaps you've heard his story. There is a whole book in the Old Testament, Job. Okay, And in the first two chapters, this is interesting. We need to understand this at Job. Verse 1, it says, Job was blameless. He was a man that had complete integrity. And he feared God and he stayed away from evil. And even in verse 5, it talks about how he would do sacrifices over his, uh, for his kids, on behalf of his kids, thinking, well, perhaps my kids have sinned, so I'm going to go ahead and give these sacrifices. And this was a regular practice of Job. He was an incredibly godly man. And in verse 12, Satan's talking with God. And Satan's wanting to, to mess with Job, to test his faithfulness unto the Lord. And in Job 1, verse 12, God gives him permission. He says, do whatever you want with what he possesses, but don't harm him physically. And so in this particular story, these messengers come in to tell Job just one right after another. Job was a wealthy man. He had all kinds of livestock. And so he's got a couple messengers coming in saying, hey, you just lost all your livestock. They're all gone. Okay, and then another messenger comes in and says, hey, Job, you've just lost all your servants. Okay, and then a, a kind of a, a freak wind accident kills all of his kids. Just bad news after bad news after bad news. And in Job chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible says that Job stood up he tore his robe in grief. He shaved his head and he fell to the ground. And what do you think it's going to say there? He fell to the ground and, and got angry or he started crying? Or, or what do you think it's going to say? It says that he fell to the ground and he began to worship God. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of God. And then at the very end of that chapter, it says, in all of this, Job did not sin. 
Well, then in chapter 2, Satan comes back and he's like, okay, it's because you didn't inflict him, right? That's, that's why he's still being faithful. So Satan's allowed permission to inflict Job with boils all over his body. And in verses 8 through 9 in chapter 2, the Bible talks about Job scraping his skin with broken pottery. And his wife, who's still alive, says to them, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? She says, Curse God and die. So now his wife is like giving him permission to let loose because you're angry at your circumstances that God has allowed. Well, his response to his wife, I am not recommending this, men. But he says, you talk like a foolish woman. But really, she was talking like a foolish woman. He said, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. If you fast forward to the New Testament, there's a moment where the Apostle Paul is struggling with what the Bible calls a thorn in his flesh. And 2 Corinthians 12 breaks this down. He says, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh. And he says, it was a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away from me. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, this is what God's response is to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. You remember last week when we talked about this word grace when it comes to our homes and our relationships? Well, walking through this life when we're constantly being bombarded with sin and temptation and all the things that can distract us from God, grace is incredibly important. Grace is huge. God says, my grace is sufficient for you to walk in obedience. And so one of the things I want to encourage us to do as a congregation, to walk in holiness, ask God for grace. Lord, I need your grace. I know that I am prone to wander. And Lord, I need you. I need your grace. And, and this is just powerful, guys. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 Jesus, our high priest, he enters into heaven after he's risen and he's paid the penalty and the price for sin. And this high priest, he understands all of our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings that you and I face and yet he did not sin. And so it ends by saying, so then let us Come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. He knows what we're going through. And he's saying, come and receive the grace you need to walk victoriously in this life. And when we come to him, verse 16 says, you're going to receive mercy and you're going to find grace when you need it most. And so with a message about temptation and sin, and it's possible there's people listening right now that there's an area of your life that you're in desperate need of God's grace right now. 
And if that's you, I just ask you to lean in and ask God to give you the grace to navigate that. That, Lord, this is my weakness. This is my area. Satan knows it. But I also know that your grace is sufficient for me to walk through this without falling into sin and into things that you don't want me to be a part of. The other response right now is for anybody that's listening that I mentioned earlier that Jesus came to pay the penalty and the price for sin. And and those who receive him into your life and his forgiveness, you're set free. And maybe you can't think of a moment in your life when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want to lead you in that. But the goal of this whole thing, guys, is for us to walk in the victory that God has designed us to walk in. In John 10, where Jesus says the M.O. of Satan to steal and to kill and destroy, right after that, Jesus says, but I have come so that you can have life abundantly. Jesus brings victory over sin. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this account of watching Jesus victoriously stand firm against Satan and his attacks. And Lord, I ask that you would help all of us to walk victoriously and that we would have your victory. We would ask for your grace to navigate this life and the things that can so easily trip us up. And Father, there may be somebody listening right now that if they were to reflect on their life and think through, have I ever settled the issue of sin in my life by receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? And if you're reflecting on that question and you can't answer Yes, I have settled that. Then I want to encourage you to settle that right here and right now. Receive him into your life. Ask for his forgiveness. And that he would set you free. If you desire that, I'm going to lead us in a prayer to receive Christ. And I'd ask that you'd pray with me in your heart. Saying, Lord Jesus... I am a sinner, and I need you to save me. And today I ask for forgiveness of my sin. Please set me free. Help me to live in the victory that you have. Help me to stand firm against the devil and and demonic activity and be able to to walk in the victory that you've designed, the abundant life that you give. Thank you for saving me. I receive you today by grace through faith. Thank you for being my Lord and my Savior. With every head bowed and eye closed, this is just a special moment here.
there's anybody at all that prayed with me to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to be set free from sin, could you just acknowledge that with me? Just simply lift your hand up and then set it right back down. Thank you. Anybody else? Pastor Russ, I prayed that with you. Father, we thank you for new life in Jesus. Help us all to walk in victory and in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you now, and it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.